Hey everyone, welcome back to the Waterlad Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. And if this is your first time, well then welcome to the podcast. Hopefully you enjoy it because there is plenty of lads who have been on already, which you can scroll back and listen to. But this episode is brought to you by Pomeroy's Coffee, the best coffee bean in the business, who are now giving Waterlad listeners a special 20% off discount for all your coffee and tea needs. Just enter the code LAD03, that's capital L-A-D-03, at the checkout to claim your discount. Or you can head over to waterlad.com and all information is there. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, please give it a share. It's very much appreciated. And I have an absolute lad for you here, so let's get to it. What a lad. Well, today I have an absolute treat for you all with one of the biggest lads from the South. He was a Southland Stag legend and he's played over 100 games for the Highlanders, which included scoring one of the most debated tries of all time. He's also played for the New Zealand Maldives and, of course, he's reached the ultimate goal of becoming an All Black. More recently, he spent some time in Japan with the Black Rams and now he's over in France dominating for Brits. And if you talk to any of the Highlander lads, they will tell you that he is the ultimate lad. It is the great Elliot Dixon. Welcome, mate. What an intro. What an intro, mate. Make shivers. <laughs> Give me shivers. <laughs> the Ray Warren of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mate, how are you, though? I hear you've been battling COVID the last week. How was that? Yeah, I, I got COVID again. I got it first in Japan um, about a year ago then. Got the double vax, thought I'd be sweet, got COVID again, and then I've been in bed for five days. <laughs> uh, the wife has been looking after the three kids and put, dropping them off at school, picking them up and, and looking after me upstairs. So, um, yeah, horrible, but glad to get out of isolation, get the negative test and um, back into training and all that sort of jazz. Bro. Was it the same strand? Was it? Were they both COVID or Omicron? Or, um... <sighs> Mate, I couldn't, couldn't tell you. I don't know what um, letter in the Greek alphabet we're up to at the moment, but uh, it, was, it was one of them. It wasn't as bad as the Japanese one, to be fair, oh, yeah. just because I think I had it without the vaccination. Um, and, yeah, I was, I was down for about nine, ten days with with that one. Um, but I think it was Omicron because it wasn't as bad and it was over pretty quickly. True. You must have sloppy hygiene to be yeah. catching so much COVID, do you? Nah, I'm blaming it on the kids, blaming it on the kids going to school and bringing back COVID. <laughs> it's not me. It's not me. I promise. I promise it's not me. Mate, it must have been tough for your wife, though, to be fair, um, looking after the three kids and yourself. Yeah, well, looking after the four kids. Um, yeah, she's um, she's been a trooper, um, especially coming over here, different language, moving 30 hours at least away, and then with COVID and all the border controls and MIQ just only recently um, announcement today yeah. that there might be a bit of, bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But um, yeah, it's been it's been tough on on everyone, but um, especially especially Paige and the kids. Um, the kids are straight into full French school, which has been very interesting. Um, yeah, so it's been the first the first four months has been yeah pretty tough. Yeah, how how old are your kids? Um, so Huxley, my eldest boy, is uh, six. Toby is five, so he is he is pretty quickly thereafter. And Tui, she was um, 
she's two now. And how have you found the whole lifestyle in France? Are you enjoying it? You're starting to now. Yeah, uh, the first the first part is um, obviously just a bit of a shock with with anywhere if you're moving your whole family and different culture, different language, and 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 all that sort of stuff. But um, we're in probably one of the nicest parts of the world in south of France and stones throw from Spain and and you can pretty much fly anywhere in Europe and for an hour and you're in a different country so you're starting to settle in the kids are better at drop-offs at school they're not they're not crying as much so that's always a good sign but um yeah bro it's it's it's, it's starting to get better and the footy how's the footy side been yeah footy's been um hard man yeah um Top fourteen is is tough. It's it's a lot. It's a lot more uh, forward orientated game, um, especially set piece focused. Big boys, big skillful boys. They can um, they can step if they want to, but they look to run over you first mm. or more or scrum, and then um, they've got some um, class backs. But the the rugby. Yeah, it's been it's been a step up, I think, from um, top league. But it's just different. It's just a different thing. It's not as fast, probably, as top league. But it's a step up physically and and and, and in different areas. And how about it's going? Yeah, we're at the bottom at the moment. But um, we've we've had a couple of couple of close games that if if they'd gone our way, then we'd be maybe eleventh instead of fourteenth. So there's only about four points, which is one win from tenth place to fourteenth place. So we just need to we just need to string some confidence together with the boys and 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 get a result and they'll change it. I think um, the boys have lost five on the trot. I've been injured unfortunately, but um, so the confidence is down and it's pretty hard to stop that kind of momentum yeah. when it when it starts to snowball. And yeah. is there promotion relegation? How does that work? Is it automatic? So the fourteenth place, if you come fourteenth, you automatically go down to Pro Dead 2. That's not where you want to be. Um, so 13th place gets to play the second. So so if you win Pro Dead 2, yeah. you go straight up. And if you come second, you get to play the 13th and, and top 14. So it's kind of like a promotion relegation. And that's um, how Baritz got in last year. They bet um, Bayon in, in a kickoff. Like a an actual twenty-two, oh, wow. like, yeah, it was a twenty-two kickoff, and um, our number eight, um, Stefan Armitage, got it, got one of the kicks over, and and that's how we how we got up and and top footing. So, what was the kickoff score? Was it what five four? I no no, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think um, so. I think the th- the first two or three had all got it yeah. from both sides, and then they missed one, and then uh, Steph, the number eight. Um, went up and got it. kicked it over. And, Game over. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> cracked it. Yeah. Oh, so much from each club relies on this one kick from a number eight who's probably never kicked a goal before. Oh, I know. So. I know. And uh, no, he does. Trust me. I've, I've, every single training, training he's out there. <laughs> he, he, loves, he loves it. He, oh, well, he, he, now he loves it. He's, he's out there. He's out there kicking it. What's the first choice? Every, every second he can. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't want to be the he doesn't want to be third choice. He wants to be doing every single kick. I think from from now on, which I probably will let him. To be fair, yeah, well, fair enough. And how how long are you at the club? Are you signed on post this year? 
Yeah, so um, I signed for a two-year deal, so uh, this season and next season. Um, so yeah, it was it was more. I didn't really want to move the family over for just one year, yeah. and um, I think the kids being five and six, the boys being five and six. Sorry, um, it's a great age to learn a new language, and two years in full French school, I think they'll they'll have a good grasp by then. And if we really love it, then don't know, mm. we 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 might stay, or and if not, we'll head back home and and see what happens and opens up after that. Mm. How is your family's French? Are your kids are, are as intelligent as you? Uh, oh, mate, mate. If they're as intelligent as me, they'll take at least 10 years to get the French down pat, to be fair. Um, nah, they know a lot more than they let on, I think. Yeah. So, like, I'll be in a shop or something, or someone will be saying something, and then my son, Huxley or Toby, will come up and just be like, oh, he's telling us to go there. And I'll be like, hey, why don't you, why don't you just tell me or, or like, could you speak to him or could you at least help me out? Um, I think it's easier for me personally just because I've, I've learned a couple of different languages. Um, I speak Māori. Um, I learned quite a bit of Japanese and then French. I'm in the environment every day with with uh, rugby, so it's a lot easier for me. Look at uh, you go, four languages. It's, it's just... Um, one up on Victor. Well, no, very badly. I can't. E- I can't even do um, English that well. So I didn't even pass at school, sir. I don't think. So. He was throwing big words around. I'll be just throwing the little two syllables. Well, four, four languages, though. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, not. I didn't say that I was very proficient in either of them, but yeah, I can. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's just. Um, say hello. <laughs> it's a good opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I can say hello. I can ask for a beer. I can um, ask for something else. So it's all yeah. good. Living. Anyway, got plenty to get through in your journey. One of the great careers. Um, mm. But as always, we need to start at the start. So um, what was it like for young Elliot Dixon? Young Elliot Dixon. Um, well, mate, I had my first game of rugby when I was three years old. I um, started with my brother, who's a couple of years older than me. Yeah, um, and we played for a wee club in Christchurch called Suburbs, which was like uh, um, which my dad used to play for, and they um, they used to be quite a good club back in the day. And yeah, it was just growing up and, and loving it, and it was full on tackle back in those days, which wasn't much of tackle. Yeah. It really, to be honest, it was um, tripping up over each other, and I didn't know what I was doing half the time, just there to eat oranges at half time and and run around and have fun and. Um, yeah, so it was Christchurch. That's where I was born and and raised and and brought up to live and breathe rugby. And then we went to Sydney at a young age. And after playing for Sydney for a while, I went to St. Bede's. So yeah, it changed from club rugby to um, first fifteen rugby and and schoolboy rugby. Mm. And what were you like as a teenager? I could imagine you being at the skate park or doing all sorts of oh. teenage stuff. Right. Yeah, I was I was probably a naughty kid. I, I was a naughty kid, to be honest. I was, um, yeah, I wasn't. I, I never skated. Can't skate. Oh, yeah. I still can't skate. Um, never, can't surf. Can't do anything like that. But I was just, yeah, I just was. Um, I was there for a while to eat my lunch and 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 to train and to play rugby and um, just to hang out with my mates really. Probably got around the bad bad crowd for a little bit, but um, my parents 
thankfully sent me boarding in my last year of um of school, which was a godsend because um I got to be at school the whole time and I probably played my best rugby um for the first team that year as well and then it kind of just launched from there and yeah they, they got me through that which was good and thank them very much for putting me through boarding school at that time when did you know you were good at rugby was it earlier on than that or was it sort of that period of time um i was good at rugby when i was younger because i was quite fast but then when i think a lot of the boys got bigger and and stronger at that like 13 14 15 i i kind of didn't i didn't i wasn't big i was quite small and then, so I was making all the rep teams up until probably 11, 12. Yeah. And then I didn't make a rep team until under 16s when my dad actually took me to the, he's a police officer, to the police gym in the off season in, in Christchurch in Central. And um, I started to go to the gym three, four times a week. And I came back from fourth form to fifth form and I'd grown from maybe five, nine, five, ten to six, two, oh. six. Yeah, so went from short to scrawny and tall and then um, changed from being a fullback to being a loose forward just because I've always wanted to be a loose forward just because it looked like they had the most fun. <laughs> what was your gym program like at 16? Geez, sounds like a beast. Mate, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have a clue. I was um, I was just following Dad and I don't think Dad knew what he was doing, <laughs> to, to be fair. It was off the cuff. It was, um, it was quite funny. There was before, I think now with schoolboys rugby, there's quite like a high performance and um, gym programs, but it was unheard of in 2000 and well, I think it was 2005 of kids going to the gym at 16 or 15 and and, and getting ready for a rugby season. Yeah. You, you just didn't really do it. You went to Kaiteriteri Beach <laughs> um, for the New Year's, you hung out. And that was it. You didn't go to the gym and the police gym <laughs> in Christchurch and try and get swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, but it obviously paid dividends for you and St. Beads because you carried that college side for a couple of years there. Um, I think the only team you couldn't quite get past was the mighty Nelson College from memory. Yes, I know, mate. I was um, Nelson College, yeah, bitter, bitter <laughs> about that, to be fair. But, um, yeah, we, we had... A good bunch of guys from two years that just came up together and um, we had some really good players and I think from that St. Pete's squad in 2007 I think we had three or four uh, New Zealand schools reps which was unheard of from St. Pete's at that time We'd kind of been up and down quite a bit and a bit of a lull and we won the Mwaska Cup off Crushish Boys High so um, yeah Nelson College Played up there, versus them in the final, and we lost that. So we won't talk about <laughs> that much. <laughs> did you make New Zealand schools? Yeah, you did. yeah. I was, um, I was actually, I was actually, yeah, co-captain oh. with um, Robbie. Robbie Robinson was captain, and I was a co-captain. I think we were the first team in like seven years to lose versus Australian <laughs> schools. So it was. It wasn't. It wasn't a good thing. Yeah, we we we, pl- we played over. I think we played over in Brizzy. I thought um, you were going to give me an awesome and, uh, stat there, like <laughs> a real nah, success. No, 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 just a real humble, real humble um, co-captain, first ever to lose in seven years. So yeah, I think it was something like that. And then you ended up <laughs> making the New Zealand twenties as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the year above me was like you, they had New Zealand schools, then they had New Zealand 19s, then they had New Zealand 20s. Yeah. So they cut the New Zealand 19s year. the year that I could have been eligible. So I was a bit gutted about that. Mm. So you had like a whole year of, um, I got signed in the middle of my um, seventh form into like the Crusaders Academy thing and, and um, just trained with them and five in the morning, ridiculous hours and six at night and um, trained to pretty much to try and make the 20s, sure. which was um, the big goal, yeah, to, to get the 20s because if you got to 20s, the New Zealand 20s, then you'd get a contract is pretty much was the go at that time, yeah. Were you training with the actual Crusaders or was it just the academy group? No, pretty much the academy boys, but it was pretty much all of the Crusaders now or boys that had been the Crusaders or most of the All Blacks were the academies. So we'd come in at different times. So we'd be the first in the gym at like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. and then we'd get out before the Crusaders or, or the NPC team uh, came in um, and then we'd be the last in. At, at night to train either on the field or at the back of rugby park. So, um, yeah, we're, we're short end of the stick, but that's what happens when you're 19 and you, I think I got signed for a dollar. Um, I think it was a dollar contract, literal dollar contracts. It was one of the biggest contracts I've ever signed for. Paid in one payment or spread out over 12 months? Oh, no. I think they spread it out over um, 12 months, so I think I got <laughs> Yeah, I got like 12 and a half cents and then I got taxed off that as well. So <laughs> cheers for that labour. <laughs> oh, good times. And was your New Zealand 20s campaign a bit more successful than your New Zealand schools? Yeah, um, so we were the New Zealand 20s that went to Japan. It was the world, that was the world championship in Japan. Um, so it was, it was an awesome experience. My family went over with, her, with us and, and followed us around. But then it was also a bit of a bitter experience as well for um, obviously different reasons um, with Zach's dad, um, oh, Zach yeah. Guilford's dad, um, dying on the final whistle, pretty much at the final whistle of the final. So um, lot, lot, uh, huge highs and then um, huge lows as well. So um, yes, a successful campaign, but then also, yeah, just a bit of a turning point for for a good mate. Yeah. So what was that like? Well, did everyone get told that news in the changing sheds after the game, was it? Well, no, so we were pretty much um, we were in the middle of like, to accept the trophy and then we kind of just saw a bit of commotion in the Senate stands where you could see like your parents and stuff like that. Yeah. Saw a bit of commotion and we're all looking up and wondering what was happening and, um, and then I think Zach got ushered over and um, then we didn't really find out much until later on that night, until uh, Zach came back and um, told us about what what happened and his dad passed and and yeah, it was, it was pretty a bit of a uh, somber affair. Mm. It was pretty um, tough, tough news to swallow. Yeah, yeah. mate, that's brutal, eh? And- Zach obviously would have been struggling over those next few weeks or years. Well, yes, and and then he was pretty much straight into the All Blacks. I think straight off that, um, mm. straight after that, because it was two thousand nine, and I think he made the All Blacks either that year or the next year. So, was, yeah, we 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 had a pretty stacked team, and Cruden and Savia, Julian Savia, and all those boys. So we um, yeah, had a really good team and. 
we played um, England in the final and, and Dave Rennie was our coach. And um, it was just when Dave was just coming up, I think, looking to obviously get into Super Rugby and, and coaching and, and had he's probably one of one of one of my favourite coaches that I had up in like he just a great game plan, like a great fellow and knew how to build a culture. Mm. Um so that everyone would buy him. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a, a good good bunch of guys, and we're obviously versed England, and we weren't expected to win. They had Courtney Laws and all those boys, and um, we I think we put forty on them in the end. Mm. So yeah, it was just a, it was just well coached team and with um, some some really really good backs, mm. and us forwards were just battling away <laughs> at the front, holding your own. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to. <laughs> and then when you got back, did you have a decision to make uh, to stay in Canterbury or head down to Southland? Was that an opportunity um, that you just couldn't turn down to head down to Southland? Yeah, so I was kind of left in the lurch a little bit with um, Canterbury. They kind of said, yes, we're looking to, to sign you, but we, we're going to wait and, to see if um, so-and-so signs, and if they do, then we won't have space, but if they don't, then we'll sign you. Whereas um, I'd obviously been in the 20s team with um, Robbie Robinson and me and him, good mates, and he said, look, come down. We've got a great um, atmosphere down here, and they've just won the Shield as well. And then I got a offer on the table with more money than I'd seen. Um, that's a lot more than a dollar anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so I, uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite a easy decision for me to get an opportunity to play uh, good rugby because there's going to be shield challenges to get um, a chance to play in front of it was going to be big crowds because Southland hadn't had the shield for 50 or 52 years or whatever it was so it was pretty quickly signed and and here's on the way down there. And how'd you find the culture down there? We've obviously had um, Jamie McIntosh on and good John Hardy on, a couple of Southland lads as well. So um, they've told a few stories. Uh, how did you find it? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it was probably the best introduction into a semi-professional rugby environment <laughs> I think you could have as a 19, 20-year-old. Um, like, yeah, like train hard play good rugby but then afterwards enjoy yourself like the the bar was packed after that we'd always go back to the Spates Ale House in, in Cargill because there's probably one or two bars and and um, go back there and everything was put on so it was literally you'd sit down with every single player in the team, management coaches, physios doctors and you'd, you'd just have a good night until three or four <laughs> and then you'd do that every single week for couple of years but um yeah it was it was a cool introduction to rugby and what was your um initiation like i heard it was something to do with milk sounded like a good one. Oh, so initiation oh yeah i think we had to if i'm not mistaken when you get your first game for the stags you have to do uh you skull a couple of beers do stags raw and then that's that's usually just the 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 do, docile kind of bit, and then at the end of the year we had a trip to Queenstown, oh, yeah. which was usually always the the best time of the year. So we'd rent out a, a bus, we'd stop off at every single pub on the way to Queenstown from Invercargill, stayed the night at a backpackers, 
and then day two would go to Arrowtown and then come back the other way. And um, there'd be like a yellow jersey leader and all that sort of stuff. But on um, on the first day, there's always an initiation where you, the first years have to do like a, um, it's pretty much like a down up with beers, but then milk in the middle as well. So you'd do a down up, drink a beer, run, keep running, then down up, drink a milk, running, down up, drink a beer. Yeah, sculling the beer, you're not just drinking yeah. it. And then um, obviously <laughs> chucking up at every third or fourth step. And um, yeah, was, th- this was before, this is before social media and, <laughs> and um, iPhones or camera phones really took off. So it was probably for the best, to be fair. It was, it was, it was Quite, it's quite a, quite a cool experience. But then also looking back, um, got away with murder probably. <laughs> How many shadows did you have to do? Oh, yeah, it felt like a lot, but it was probably walking pace by the time I was doing it. Um, I think we had to do it was, it was either two milks and four beers or something like that, ten meters apart. So it might have been six, but it took different people, different times, and yeah. So it was, it was it was just a it was just a crack up. Everyone would just get in behind everyone, and um, obviously just yelling abuse. And this is when even like the physios and stuff were coming, and some of the S and C were on the on the on on board as well. And the coaches came on the first day. Like you'd never see that, yeah. um, and in a professional environment these days, but. Um, Back in 2009, 2010, that's what happened with the It's good stuff. And what was your favourite um, Shield game? It was probably versus Otago. Um, that was our first Shield game. So we'd played, obviously, the Lahore Cup um, winners and Meads Cup winners. Um, so I think it was, I, don't, I can't remember who we played. I think we played um, either North Otago and someone else um, beforehand for those. Mm. But the first game... Our first shield defence was versus Otago and Nimbers at Rugby Park, and it was packed like I reckon twenty thousand, twenty thousand people. It was, it was my favourite match just because it was an introduction for me to professional rugby and um, to shield rugby, which I'd only ever watched, but never um, been really a part of, and and the rivalry between. Otago in Southland, and yeah, just the the hate that they Genuine. we had for each other. Even <laughs> even even though I was, I was from Christchurch, I still hated them. <laughs> um, like, but I remember having a laugh with um, I think Tomo and Thompson at the bottom of a rack, and I, like during the game, and he's like like slapping me on the head, and I was like, "This is random." He's in all black, and we're playing in in a field match. And in Chicago, it was, it, was, it was quite a surreal moment. It was quite cool. You were, what, 19? Was this your debut game? Yeah, well, um, it was my debut NPC game, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd played the two previous um, games. Um, so that was my first first class debut was versus um, North Otago, I think. But then, yeah, my NPC debut was versus Otago and Shield match. So it's pretty pretty special to get a debut like that yeah what were your nerves like leading up to that game i could imagine you being you look like a very calm customer but even at that age what were you like yeah i like i still get nervous now like i'm i think it's i'm into my 
13th, 14th year, I still get nervous, but I think that's a good thing. Like, uh, if you don't get nervous about a game or something, then you're not in an uncomfortable position and you want to be uncomfortable to get growth and or to play well or to, um, to perform. So I, I do remember throwing up before that game. And that's the first time and only time I've ever thrown up. Um, I'm blaming the doctor though, because he gave me some, he gave me some bad caffeine. Um, pills, I think it was. So I blame the doctor. And um, yeah, the nerves here. I was I wrecked until the kickoff, and then as soon as the kickoff goes, I'm sweet. Like I, yeah, it doesn't doesn't phase me after that. When did the decision to go move to the Highlanders come about? Did you? Was it always the Highlanders for you? Um, no, it was, it was open. I was open market market for anything, yeah. but they were the first ones to go, come calling. Um, so they actually came calling after only seven games of my first NPC season. Oh, wow. So just before, just after my birthday, they offered us two year contract, and yeah, signed it straight away. Pretty much just said, "Yep, I want to give it a go." They they were a gritty team. Let's just say they weren't the best team yeah. at, at the time, but they were always in with a chance of winning. Um, and then also exciting because they had new new coaches coming, and Whopper was the captain at the time, so he was he was in my ear trying to get me to come. And there's quite a few of the Southland boys at that time. We pretty much had a starting fifteen of Super Rugby players. So mm. yeah, it was it was a pretty quick decision to to get get on board the Highlander train quickly. Mm, mate, you said they weren't the best when you arrived, but, mate, you got them right mm. to the very top, didn't you? You got them all the way there, carrying them well, on your back. Not me, mate, not me. It was a, a lot of a lot of Jamie Joe's down-ups and 12 <laughs> rounds and blooming fights. And it was a, it was, the first couple of years, I think, was, was an eye-opener for me as a, just as a, just a professional outfit. It was... We were um, a good enough team from 1 to 15, but then um, uh, any injuries or after 10 games, we we fell off. That's because usually Jamie Joe didn't uh, rotate or didn't um, allow any of the younger players to play and build debt. So, so there was, yeah, that's pretty much, we bore the brunt of that when we tried to buy a championship in 2013. It was probably the best team on paper that you could ever have. Like... We had Tony Woodcock, we had Andrew Hall, we had Jamie McIntosh, we had Brad Thorne, we had um, Lurchie, we had uh, Jimmy Cowan, we had Colin Slade, Jose Gia, Tamari Allison, Martin Nonu, all those boys, yeah. and um, we went zero and nine for the first <laughs> 10 weeks of that competition. Crazy. I remember that. Yeah, Owen, what was, was it you all calling each other? Owen or something? Yeah, <laughs> Owen. Yeah, me and Owen are hanging out. <laughs> Me and Owen are hanging out, but we finally got um, Owen away because we played the Sharks at home and they didn't want to lose to us. So they didn't take the penalty to to, to draw it. They went for the the, the, the try and um, I think they knocked it on over the line or something like that. And then the next week we flew to Africa and lost to Port Elizabeth, <laughs> the Kings. We lost to the Kings in Port Elizabeth. That's how terrible the season went. And it just went, it was a dark time for a Highlanders fan and Highlanders player. So how did that turn around? Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. It was, I think it was a change of, of mindset um, instead of just being the battler 
we we tried to we tried to take on more of um like a rebuilding phase or like a, a championship mindset and um it also helps when you get brownie and the coaching staff and then you we got quite a few guys uh from different teams that didn't get shots so we got malakai we got waisaki we got a few of those kind of guys that were there or thereabouts in different teams and but then had to chip on their shoulder um and really wanted to prove people wrong. So like a, a Mark Reddish and, and Alex Angley and stuff like that, like just guys that are just solid ball players, good ball players that would go all day for you. Yeah. Probably not the best, like um, flashiest guys, but then you put a good game plan, good coaching and a dynamic 9-10 wingers around them. Then, yeah, I think that's, that's where it started to build up and build up. In 2015, it, it really built, and it got you all the way. But one thing yeah. that obviously happened, 90% of the questions that came in for you were obviously mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the one try. Everyone wants to know, honestly, did you score it? Which one? Uh, was this like in the first one during the season, <laughs> like during, or in the final? Have you scored more than one try in your career? <laughs> oh, that was, I think I've got three. I think. Oh, that try. In the final, go on. What, what do you reckon, honestly? <laughs> okay, honestly, honestly, should we slate clean? Yeah. I'll tell you right now. I think it was a try. Yeah. I think it was a try. Like, I, the only reason why I got up shaking my head, <laughs> well, there was actually two reasons. I, so I was, because <laughs> I was carrying you, um, I think, near here. I think I was carrying about four other guys on my back. So I was, I was actually quite sore. So I was shaking, like, just, sore neck. Yeah, oh, man. Get off my back! No, 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 no! <laughs> but um, when I when I reached out to put the ball down, um, I saw Bodie's leg, yeah, like kick out, and I felt my hand go down onto his leg and the grass, and, drop it. and then I felt the ball get like kind of like kicked out and dropped, <laughs> dropped it. No, I didn't drop it. No, um, so like I was I was fifty fifty on what. It actually happened. Did he kick it before I put it down, or did he kick it after? And yeah, once I saw the replay, obviously, yeah, easily that it was um, after I put it down. Yeah, Yeah. you must get that question so many times. You still get it now, like when you go out and stuff. Everyone wants to know, eh? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's so much fun because of um, like Andrew Mulligan and um, Bryce Casey, uh, obviously the, the Hurricanes fans, and I just rip into them. It just comes up on like Super Rugby um, finals things, like in uh, five years ago this happened, and I'll just be like tag, tag, and then it will just be blowing up every single time, and they'll just hate it. It will get hundreds of likes. They'll get commented on, and uh, yeah, I do. It's um. It's it it quite a surreal moment because that was actually my 50th match as well. So I ran out by myself to a full cake team mm. with 35,000 people. My my son had just been born, actually just been born. He was four, year, four weeks old there with my wife, Paige, and um, all my family and stuff like that. So, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, it was a pretty... Pretty cool experience, and then a, a very hazy week after. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. What was that like? Did you have to fly out for the uh, Maori tour? Yes, I did. I, I know that sounds like I'm disappointed, but yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like 
Well, at least you got on the plane. I know um, Shane Christie didn't, did he? <laughs> I know. Uh, yes. Uh, Shane Christie, yeah, I think he like, nearly lost his job because of it. Um, yeah, he was like the um, Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I ain't leaving. I ain't leaving. But, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of just about to do the same thing, but then... Um, I'm glad kind of that I did go and, and, and play because obviously I was, I'd, I'd been talked to by the All Blacks coaches and they'd said that I was there and thereabouts. And if obviously I just turned around and said, no, I'm not going to the Maldives uh, tour because of, I want to get on the Raz <laughs> for a week and a half with the boys and not get out of my kit and just, um, go to a, as much as I'd love to go to a court session with, um, Mark Ellis running it, um, yeah, it was, it was a different goal in mind after that. Yeah, and where was that Maldives tour? It was to Fiji, and my goodness, they had some big boys playing. <laughs> Holy heck! Oh, and they had they had Nadolo. He was playing like wing, but then he was just doing hit ups and seemed to be coming down my channel every single time. Like, I was like, come on, cars, go the other <laughs> side, please. Just go, like, left, go left, or step onto the other side, or run at our 10 instead of running at me. Don't have to run at me. I always thought it was it's just fun. me yeah, thinking we, like that. <laughs> no, no, I'm always trying to send them back in. <laughs> well, that's why I loved having Marty Banks outside me, so I'd send them back out to Marty. They're not going to run into me. They're not going to try and run to me. They're going to just run in Marty. So. <laughs> Any other stories on your Maldi tours? Yeah, so my first ever Maldi tour in 2012 was an absolute... This was before it was like, um, you know how it was All Blacks and then they kind of made it high performance. Yeah. Maldi's, uh, the Maldi team to be yeah, high performance. This was before that. It was pre. That was pre-everything. So this was Jamie Joe's first year, second year of being... Uh, Maori head coach, um, and we were touring to England. So we were playing in some random places. We played in Oxford. We played in Doncaster. Doncaster? <laughs> don't even know where that is. Right up north. Right up north. And then um, we played um, like Canada and then this random Challenge Cup team. So we go out um, one night in, um, in Doncaster, and we're drinking, we have a few beers. And what we're drinking is duff beer, like from the Simpsons, duff beer, you know. Duff, that, duff it's beer. a thing over there. We, I thought, I was like, what the hell? Is this a natural beer? And uh, uh, Jared Huayata is biting people. Hicker Elliott is trying to tell people how good he is at sweeping them and throwing them over and <laughs> how he's never lost a karate fight in hundreds, hundreds of karate fights. And then we literally... I I turn away from the bar, turn back, and I see 15 Lebanese guys absolutely smashing all the Maori boys. There's a huge there's a huge fight, like 15 on 15, Lebanese versus Maldives. Like everyone's in on it. I was like jumped out. We're all pushing everyone away. We're just all running, gapping it because obviously we didn't know where we were and it was in quite a, a bad neighbourhood. Yeah. We run around the corner. There's like people getting laid out. One of our biggest locks gets laid out on the ground. We're dragging them away. We get into taxis and we're just like, just get us, just get us, to get us out of town. And this is all kicked off 
because Chad Hoyata goes and bites the wrong person because he thinks it's somebody else, I think. I think it was him. I think it was him, or it might have been Kurt Baker. <laughs> Kurt Baker was on that tour too, and there was it was just a menace. We were like, oh, there was there was a reason why it became professional after that year because probably too many of those stories came up. It was just it was no good. It had to be. It had to be. <laughs> oh, that's good. Mate, and obviously your Highlanders career, uh, very successful. Mm. You talked about your 50th game, also your 100th game. You pl- you got managed to get to 100 games. What was that one like? First two years, I played two games, got injured. James Haskell had come over, so I thought I had a chance and then ripped my pick. And, um, yeah, if you told me in 2012 that I'd be playing 100 games, I would have told you to probably fuck off and what have you, you been doing? Um, but... So that was a, a an amazing experience to to get to play a hundred games and at Forsyth Bar as well and run out with my kids. But the funniest story, well, looking back now, it's funny at the time it was quite scary. Was um, that a couple of days beforehand we'd done this drill at the field that we trained at was pretty dirty sometimes. Like they used to, I don't know if they used to not fertilize it or they used to like. I don't know, I'm not too sure if the sewers just used to run off it or all the boys from Castle Street that used to be here on the first years used to just get drunk and piss all over it or something. Um, we're doing this drill where you'd, you'd be on your knees and you'd be tackling. And um, I had a wee cut, just a wee cut uh, on it and obviously did the drill. And I, I've had cellulitis, which is like uh, before, two years before I had had cellulitis, which is like a, a blood infection, which can turn septic and obviously it can get pretty bad and was in hospital for two weeks. But leading up to my 100th game, the Saturday morning of the game, 3 a.m., wake up and just got this burning sensation in my leg and straight away, like, I know, boom, I've got it. It's like the early onset of it. It's, it's already big. It's, like, swollen up. It's, like, this this red colour and it's agony, like, in pain. So I ring up the team doctor. I'm like, mate, I need to come see you right now. I've got an infected knee. And, he, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, come down. Um, we'll give you some antibiotics and you'll be sweet to play. And he looks, I get there at about, um, I think it was about 5, 6 a.m. He looks and he's like, no, you can't play. You can't play. Look at it. It's, it's like this big. And um, I'm like, no, well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not not going to play. I've got um, 100 games. Kids are excited to run out, and I'm not just going to be like, no, nah, we're not doing it. This, I'm playing. So whatever you have to do to get me on that field, you have to do it right now, and we have to get it done. So he chucks an IV in to my, um, into my arm and pumps me full of uh, like um, IV fluid antibiotics, oral antibiotics, take those, some pain medication, and then... I go home for a couple of hours and I'm just wrecked. Like, I'm not sure. It must be just the side effect. You're just tired as, and I'm just asleep. I wake up for my alarm at 11 to go back and do it again. Get another IV, some more oral um, antibiotics. And then, um, so this carries on, I think, three or four times before the, even um, the game starts. And half an hour before the game starts, I am still have the IV, like, before the warm-up, 
the IV <laughs> sticking out of my arm, and he's just pumped me just just before the warm up. Just here you go, mate. Last one, last one. We'll get you through. And I was like, oh sweet, cheers, mate. Medicinal help. Run through. Finally get on the get onto the field first uh, with the kids. Like awesome occasion. Get my media pre- presentation and patu at the end of the game. And yeah, like it was obviously wasn't hurting by the end of the game because I wasn't thinking about it. Um, but just a crack up story and and just a way yeah. like of course that's going to happen to to me when it's going to my hundredth game. Looking forward to it and um, yeah, it's just it's just something that you just can't really describe what happens. Like what the heck's happening here? Did you ever think that you weren't going to play? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought like probably when I first woke up, I was like, "Mate, I spent two weeks in the hospital last time on on like mm. straight on morphine. Like so on, I was I was wrecked. Like I couldn't walk. Um, I lost like ten kgs, and it was tracking up to my groin. So it was um, it was quite mm. quite a bad one. But but yeah, I think it's because I I got the signs pretty quick that. I was able to get to the doctor for <laughs> random time in, uh, in the morning and, and get that um, the antibiotics in quickly because the first time I got it, I only had oral antibiotics and that obviously weren't strong enough. But the worst thing was I thought, play my 100th game, happy as. They'll give me a couple of weeks off with the kids and I get to watch the boys in South Africa and I'll just have a couple of weeks off to heal, probably have to go to the hospital and maybe get my leg drained out and just carry on like that and um the, the team manager moose at the time comes over he's like hey elliot um dicko mate you're um you're traveling you're traveling um we really want you to travel i was like take the piss i'm just fucking you, do you see what's happening down here like my knee is heavily strapped and it's like still this big purple red and just like hissing hot and he's like, yeah, but we've got a plan. We've got a plan, mate. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Yeah, tell me tell me the plan. So they said, okay, you're going to sit next to the doctor for the whole flight, for every flight. So we're going to go from, obviously, Dunedin and go to Joburg, land in Joburg. And that's a 16-hour flight from Sydney to Joburg. And he's going to give you an IV. We're going to put the IV in before the plane, though, just in case, because, you know, 35,000 feet in the air and blood and probably pockets of air is probably not a good thing and could be dangerous. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, why not? So every three hours I'm waking up, sometimes I'm asleep, I'm waking up and he's just like this, just putting stuff into my arm and I'm like, this could look so bad. Like like people could just be like in first class walking past like going, what are these guys doing? I'm in Highlanders kit and my doctor is just like, putting antibiotics into me through an IV in my arm, which he makes me hide yeah. like every three hours. They have to hide it just so that air host test doesn't get freaked out and be like, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing there? So it was just, I ended up playing the game too. And um, yeah, I'm glad oh, yeah. that I did go, get to go to Africa because South Africa is probably, as you know, some of the, some of the best times of your life. Mate, go on, keep going. I want to hear some more about your African times because I know you've got plenty of stories. One in particular I've heard about, heard rumours about, is your time at the Bulls after the Bulls game 2015. Go on. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Where did you get the source from? I just need to know who's been telling lies or who's been telling, nah, um, 
Yes, I do. I do have um, a couple of stories from that, actually, to be fair. Um, <laughs> far out. So we were, yeah, I might as well tell the story because James Haskell told the story about the the other incident and made a book about it. So we'll make a killing, me and you, eh, on, on this one and, and, <laughs> and go from there. Split it 50-50. Hopefully, hopefully we don't get and sued. And we'll get to Haskell's bit later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So after the Bulls game, I think we lost the game. I'm not too sure. We we never really had a good um, track record uh, versus the Bulls in Pretoria. Uh, it's a, just a tough place to play in Joburg uh, at altitude. And the first week's always the hardest, as you know. Um, just trying to get used to it. It's like trying to breathe through a straw when you're when you're running and stuff. And the boys were a bit down in morale after the loss. So we thought, uh, okay, sweet, we'll go out. So the coaches set us a curfew of two o'clock. So Ben Smith at the time's the captain, and um, I'm I'm the sheriff. So like if so the sheriff is kind of like fines master, kind of tries to implement like those that sort of stuff and like um, regulations and rules and like a dress code and stuff like that. So. I'm 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 trying to back up Ben and back up the coaches with with um with the curfew. So we go to a place called Tiger Tiger, which is um if if you're very familiar with um Africa, Tiger Tiger is probably a lot of boys would know what Tiger Tiger is. It's just a it's just like a a dance club kind of but more like a long bar kind of with a big square dance club and a huge DJ set and a lot of um a lot of people usually go there and it's usually in the safest or safer areas of Joburg. So um we're allowed to go there, only allowed to go there and not allowed to linger outside or anything like that. And first rule of Africa is always stay with the guy with the gun on the security detail. So um so yeah. We, we we get there and it's good it's good we get there I think um, after the game because the, the South African games we usually finish at about like um, 5 o'clock 5pm so um, we start drinking obviously at 5 5pm 5 uh, we don't get to Tiger Tiger until like 11 I'm, I've, I've gone we've, we've had a mini kind of court session where you sit down just have a few yarns and everyone's feeling pretty good and and um, no one's really wasted or anything. It's just a good vibe and everyone's having fun. And then um, obviously the rand is a very weak versus the New Zealand dollar. So 50 rand can buy you pretty much anything in, in a bar. So <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever seen is we walk into this bar, into Tiger Tiger, and the boys just go crazy and... They bring out these huge bottles of Grey Goose with sparklers and like coming out like that. And I think it was like 100 Rand, which is like nothing. Well, no, no, it was like maybe 200 Rand for like five bottles of this Grey Goose. I go to the toilet, I come back, and the boys have already started downing them. And everyone's like just completely lost it. I go outside, I go talk to um, the a couple of the bouncers and... Um, a Cuban, who's the security guy, I'm like, mate, it's it's, it's going to kick off in here. That's the boys have lost it. Like we're, we're we're about to go south pretty quickly. 
and you know we're going to go south pretty quickly when Ben Smith's like, nah, we're pushing it out. We're pushing out the curfew to three. We'll go to three o'clock. <laughs> we're not leaving till three. So I was like, well, okay, if, if you're saying three o'clock and if the um, security guy's all good with it, we'll go three. So it gets to like 2.55 and people in Bender's ear and like, get on, mate. Let's go to four. Let's go to four. I'm like, mate, we've got to get going. So we, I slowly start with with Cuban and and um, stuff. Start slowly getting the boys into the um the van. And mind you, I'm pretty pretty um, pissed at the same time. So like I'm I'm probably thinking about I'm helping, but I'm probably like, hey Cuban, you're mate. in business. Yeah, till five. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably walking off in the wrong direction. Cuban's probably like, what are you doing, mate? Come and help me. So um, we get down to like the last two or three people just like scuttling away, trying to get away from everyone so that they can have the last couple more drinks. And um, there's probably about five people left. Bender's there trying to get a few other boys. So Ben Smith's there trying to get a few other boys out. And um, Ash Dixon's at the bar. And I would go up to Ash and I'm like, mate, we've got to get going. And he's, I don't think he even realizes it's me. And he's just like, nah kind of gives me a shove and I'm like sweet that's right like don't don't shove me you don't need to do that (laughs) and then um I was like mate we've got to go and I like tap him on the shoulder he's like he gets up and takes a swing and I was like oh come on mate don't do that we've got to get going we're gonna we're gonna be left in Tiger Tiger in Joburg at four in the morning or 3 30 in the morning and I don't know about you but I don't really know the way back so I go up to him again, and I, I've 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 gone and I've grabbed him. I was like, "Mate, we've got to go." And I've tried to bring him with me, like like in a kind of like a not a bear hug, but like just a grab. And he comes and he punches me. He hits me. He jaws me. Just gets me a good one on the jaw. And then I've just uh, the switch is gone, and I've just pivoted beautifully, just a beautiful pivot off the foot, <laughs> right hand. And just uppercutted bang, and he's gone down, <laughs> and he's down, and um, the security guards are like, "You got to get out!" They've kicked us out, and but the worst thing is he's not getting up, so he's on the ground for a while, and we're like, "Well, what do we do?" So we start dragging him out, and this is like, we're dragging out a few of the boys are trying to help me, and then because he's a um, Hawks Bay boy. A couple of the Hawks Bay boys like um, Richard Buckman and Brendan Edmonds come over to me just about to punch me. And I'm like, mate, mate, I was I was literally trying to get him out. Bender backs me up and he's like, yeah, he was trying to get him out. He hit him first, blah, blah, blah. They cool down and we're, <laughs> we're trying to carry him to the, to the, to the van. <laughs> Three in the morning, Cuban security officers like, what's happened? I left you two minutes ago to get the last three guys, and now there's somebody knocked out, knocked out in the van, not waking up. And I was just like, "Oh my goodness, what's going to happen?" I've texted, I've texted my wife, and and it's just like I think I was incoherent as well. I was, I was inebriated. I think a, a stiff, a stiff um, breeze would have probably knocked the, anyone out at that time. So it was probably a, a lucky, lucky blow as well. But um, the next morning, we wake up, and I, I, I remember everything that happened. But um, Ash doesn't. 
So um, we called in to uh, see Jamie Joe, and he's like, hey, bro, how you going, man? And I was just like, I can't remember, can you? He's like, what? I was like, you can't remember what happened last night, do you? He's like, oh, what? what? What do we do? What do we do? I was like, no, mate, we got into a fight. And he's like, oh, no, no. So we get stood down pretty much because we were meant to start the next game, me and him both. So we get stood down and we can only play off the bench. And and it's an absolute debacle. Like, Bender's like... <laughs> Like, oh, oh no, what have you guys done? I was like, it's, it's Tiger Tiger. It's South Africa. TIA, as they say, this is Africa. Just <laughs> something, something's in those black label drinks and those big bo- bottles of Grey Goose. And it just, um, it all kicked off. And luckily, nothing, nothing worse happened, to be fair. <laughs> it was just. Oh. Man, that is that is such a loose yarn. I love that. And this was the year that you won it, eh? Yeah, 2015, exactly. So, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's the reason. Well, no. The funniest thing was well, not the funniest thing is actually like me and me and Ash like we had played against each other um, quite a bit because he was boys high and I was St. Beats, so we we're quite quite competitive. He had just come that year from the Hurricanes actually, and yeah. we. Like he was really good friends with Nassi, and Nassi was the captain with Bender, Ben Smith. So um, obviously, I'd heard great things about him and good team man and stuff like that. But we didn't really talk much, to be fair. Like we we played and we we got on, but not not really talked that much. But up until after the incident, and then we actually became a lot better friends after, just because we had a story that was so crazy and so silly. That we and and he was like, I'm so gutted, I'm so gutted because I wish I wasn't so drunk. Then I would have tried to hit you better. And I was like, I know, I got, I think I got a really lucky one there. So like, um, it's actually, yeah, I think it probably brought us a bit closer because we just had a little bit of a, a a point of difference where we could just refer back to an absolute crazy night and Tiger Tiger after the Bulls game. Mate, one of the great yarns. <laughs> and you you already sort of spoke about it before, but um, the James Haskell yarn, I know oh. he has published the yarn from his side of things. Yeah, bro. Um, I'm sensing it might lies, not be mate. quite right. Let's clear the air. Okay. I'll try and clear as much as I can. So first things first, we have a party. So this is 2012. So I've just had pec surgery. So I've got my uh, left arm in a sling. So we go over to um, James Haskell's house because he's invited everyone over just to have a few beers and drinks and obviously that's probably not the best idea to do anyway at the end of the season. They uh, usually have it at a third party event place or like a club rooms or just out in the bush somewhere so you can just don't worry about anyone's house. So <laughs> the funniest thing is he's he's at the time i don't know if it was tomo or haskell they've got like dj decks or sets or whatever and they're like trying to do their own beats and it was terrible this was before they were actually all right so the music was terrible the vibe was all right but it was a it was a bad season for us we ended i want to say 10th out of 14. there was probably just a bit of a bad vibe in, in the area already and um i'm in the kitchen talking to Jimmy Cowan and um, talking to a few other boys and it's it's all good, we're sweet and then um, 
I heard, hear this commotion from outside, so I go have a look. And um, Adam Thompson's dead, um, Lima, Lima Sopoanga, um, to go throw an egg at, um, and crack an egg over Haskell's head. So I was like, oh, okay, that's quite funny. That, that's, that's quite, like, obviously, yes, uh, you're just going to wipe it off. But he goes into a rage, like Haskell goes crazy and, and like unleashes on Lima. Lima wasn't really expecting anything and gets towed. Like he's gone, he's on the ground, <laughs> he's out cold. And then Cade Pokey, if you know Cade Pokey, you know Cade Pokey because you're from up, up those ways. He is a powerhouse of a wee man. He is probably... The scariest man, probably, if you were in a ring in a very small size that you couldn't run away or use your reach, he's a very scary man. Like he'd be, he'd be ninety-two kgs, but ninety-one, ninety-one of those kgs is just muscle. Yeah, all power, and he just comes up and and Haskell's and just absolutely just starts bang, 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 knocks him. Like t- for days, like just ten punch combo, eleven punch combo, and then Haskell throws a couple more punches back, and then everyone Tomo's in the background who started it all laughing, and then just like obviously it's gone a bit too far, and then he's like, oh fuck, he tries to hold everyone back. There's people, everyone's just like jumping on sides, and we don't know what to do. It settles down, so we're all good, and then we go back into the kitchen. Jimmy Cowan's obviously got a little bit heated and he's he's thought he, he saw a fight and he's, he's, his blood's boiling a little bit. It doesn't he, take that. I don't know exactly. He and he switched and he switched and he, he's decided to pick on the lame guy with the with the bad pick with one arm. Obviously, he's, he's an easy target. So I, he comes up to me and he just says something real real out of the blue. Like me and him have been getting on really well up until then. Like. We've been talking, we're having a drink together. Um, at the time, I had very long hair, kind of dreadish. I'm in like a bomber jacket, leather bomber jacket, looked like Once Were Warriors with a sling, black jeans, black mm. combat boots, kind of. And um, he comes at me, smacks me in the face, and I'm like, mate, you can't be doing that. And then, so I just, I just again... I go and just smack him like round us and, and get him good. Another clean shot, which was, I don't know how I keep on picking them. But hey, two from two. <laughs> I think it's when, when I get to a certain point of drinking, I get, I, there must be a part of the chin I can get. So I got him a good one. So he's out of the, he's out of the fight quick. It's, it's not messy. It's, we're all good. Um, and the night goes on. The night goes on so much that we start trying to burn down um, Haskell's house. Well, we don't, but um, <laughs> Jamie McIntosh and um, Jason Rutledge are out the back by the gas bottles, lighting a fire by the gas bottles, throwing stuff onto this bonfire. And he has to call the, he, he actually calls the cops on us because he's lost in a fight. He's got all his clothes being thrown into a pit. He's got his couch being thrown outside. He's got a couple of people knocked out in the kitchen. He's got, he's got he's got two lunatics that are out the back trying to start a fire, and then um, so we disperse. We're out on the road, and um, we I start walking to Kate's house, to, which was just down the road a bit further to carry on drinking, which is probably the worst idea. And out 
from nowhere pops Jim, Jimmy Cowan. Like, The Undertaker just pops up like this. I'm like, what the heck? Like a King Cobra snake just comes up. And he comes rushing at me. He's like, do you want to go? I'm like, oh, no, Jimmy, come on, mate. We don't need to do this. I'm in sling. With my hair down. I've got a swap of crate bottle in my hand. And I'm like, bugger this. That's it. Drop the swap of crate bottle and just headbutt. Headbutt him and he's out cold. And he's straight to the... He's straight to the either the A and E or the ambulance, and he's no good. And the worst thing was, it was his last year, right, with the Highlanders. He turns up to his photo because it was the day before the photo, or two days before the photo, and his nose is no good. He's got a black eye, he's got a busted lip, and it's because of me. And he's like a hundred-game legend for Southland and the Highlanders, and I've just gone and done that, and. I've walked home that morning at 7am, kids were going to school and my, my, my wife Paige is just like, what are you doing? Look at you, you're an absolute manta, you've just gone and done this. I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I done? But it did get like, yeah, we were mates, like Jimmy, Jimmy's an absolute gem of a man and it's just like some things yeah. it's just when you mix alcohol on, into um, any situation with guys that are pent up a little bit of psychopaths because we play rugby anyway and um, it usually spells a bit of danger for it seems like <laughs> other people at the moment so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two of the craziest yarns I've ever heard <laughs> Ever on the podcast, so good. <laughs> How did the boys find Haskell? Did they get along well with him? Did he fit into the environment? Like I didn't mind him. Like it was, it was different. Like it's it's quite different. I think um, if you took things to heart, you probably wouldn't you wouldn't enjoy his company. He's a lot of banter, but I think it was just that's yeah. the, the English guys. That's that's what they brought up on. Especially witty. He's very witty, very quick. He's obviously made a name for himself um, doing podcasts and, and all that sort of stuff and writing books and he's smart and he's quite quick but he, he could never get um, um, Retellic so Callum Retellic was, was part of our team at the time and uh, Haskell had like a black bit of, in his teeth and so Callum Retellic would just come at him straight away in the morning sup tattooth tattooth how you going mate and and Haskell would just be trying to quit back at him, but he'd just be like, ah, whatever, get out. And I think it broke him. Like, he really wanted to go mm. at Callum Ritalik, but um, Callum was just just so funny. He's one of the funniest dudes to be around. And, yeah, like, I, Haskell was obviously um, a pretty cool to come and, and experience Super Rugby. It was quite cool for him to do that. Mm. Um, but I think it... For us, I think we, as like a, a loose forward pack, we probably weren't as inviting. I know that sounds bad, but because we wanted that spot, we didn't want um, to be given yeah. that spot up. Um, especially me, I was really gutted, to be fair. So I was pretty happy when Cade went and went, went nuts on him. Um, <laughs> but no, me and, no, we're, we're actually, we caught up a couple of times um, after that. I think I saw him um, once on a Maldives tour, and then um, yeah, I think he yeah he, he's good at what he does. He's got some good banter, and um, yeah. that's yeah can't really say much. He never did me any wrong. Um, he was 
Yeah, he was a genuine, genuine, just a guy that liked to chat and have banter. Yeah, yeah, mate, what a what a Highlanders career. Well, we need, we do need, we do need to move on to obviously the pinnacle, the All Blacks. Yes. Um, talk me through how you made the All Blacks. I always love hearing the stories about how guys were um, first picked and their first sort of week in the environment. Yeah. Okay. So um, we played a game versus the Canes actually. Um, this was just before the team announcements and stuff like that, the, the June Test Series versus Wales in 2016. So we'd play the Canes at the Cape Tin. I think we'd just lost. And um, the next day we flew back and it was actually my son's first birthday and um, all the family around and stuff like that. And then I get this random number pop up. And I wasn't even thinking about the All Blacks. Like, I'd heard my name kind of being mentioned on the news and stuff like that, like uh, potential bolters or lists and stuff. But I hadn't really had much, like, um, communication with the, the coaches or, or any of the management or anything like that. So I wasn't really expecting a phone call. And I got a um, got a phone call from a random number, picked it up, and I, I just took myself to the bedroom, picked it up, and then, yeah, just got that, that hey, um, is Elliot Dixon? Uh, yep, uh, you've made the uh, June All Blacks Test versus Wales. You've made the squad, the 36-man squad. We need you to be up in Auckland on um, tomorrow. We'll fly you. We'll get you all your sort of stuff sorted. So um, just pack a small bag. We'll get everything sorted for you and um, see you tomorrow and get ready for the next uh, month with All Blacks. And I was just like, what? And I was like, I, I kind of like went numb and like I was like, yep, okay, yes, yeah, sweet. It was like cool, tried to be cool, calm, collected, bang, phone call. And I didn't tell anyone for the whole party. So I was like, because I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't want it to be like at the party for a first birthday, like for my son, and be like, hey, hey, guys, I actually made door blacks. But um, I told my wife, I told Paige first, quietly, really quietly, and then. I, as my parents were leaving, I told them as they were leaving me, obviously, yeah, it was quite an emotional time. We, they cried and I cried and they had like a teared up and yeah, but I just didn't want to like shout it from the rooftop and I just wanted to, yeah, to, it, was, it was such an exciting thing just to, to keep to myself a little secret like that. Well, a huge so secret like that was, was pretty cool. Mate, that is cool. And then what was it like going into the environment? Did you feel yeah. comfortable? Uh, no, nah, not really. <laughs> it was quite hard, man. Like, it was the first year, obviously, without Richie. So um, he's left in 2015, and I think everything was just, like, under scrutiny or, like, everything's a bit more in edge mm. compared to what uh, apparently the boys had said, like, earlier years or years after were, because obviously I was only in there for, for that year. Um, but my first week, um, it's just the introduction stuff, the photos, the the Christmas day where you go get your kit bags and anything you pretty much want out of the ADS locker and um, your first day of training where you wake up four hours before the actual time of the bus and you're just sitting there like this, <laughs> um, sitting in front. And um, my roommate, who was my roommate? I think it was Sam Kane was my first roommate, I think. And then I had uh, Jerome Kaino a lot 
which was was quite awesome because just wanted to be a sponge with one of those guys, one of the best players in the world. And, and um, me and Liam Squire roomed quite a lot. Um, or me and Romano, Luke Romano as well. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a, it was just a different, different atmosphere compared to um, mm. being with the Landers where I'd been for six or seven years. And I was myself and I was, I'm quite a jokey kind of guy at training, um, pretty lax in meetings or crack a joke and stuff like that. But at the All Blacks, I was just like this. this. And I didn't want that. Um, really, I didn't feel like I could be myself enough, which I did start yeah. to become like d- during later and later on uh, after I got picked for the um, the Tri Nations and then I got picked for the India tour. I, I started to more of my character um, came out and and I got more comfortable, but I never really got the chances to play. So yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a, a a negative effect on me on my rugby career was just that that like it was an amazing experience and loved it but for me personally i don't think that that it was going to be a fit in that environment for me um whether it's skillful skills or or the, the type of player they're looking for or I, i'm not too sure but um yeah it was an amazing experience but it wasn't the be all and end all of my rugby career, you know, like I wasn't mm. absolutely devastated to not make the All Blacks or to never be, never play another game for the All Blacks. Like I would have loved to have mm. played the Lions tour, but it's but it's one man or two men um, opinion of of a team. That's what I used to get told when I was little, and it's still to this day, mm. you know, like you can't really dwell on things that you. You've got no control over. You play a game, get paid well to play a game. You can't really be, oh. you can't really be complaining about too much. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's a cool, cool mindset to have. Because you, because you did burst into the All Black scene, the sort of international scene, and obviously I knew how hard you were to tackle um, in the <laughs> final. Um, so I did expect you to have a long sort of all-black career. Looking back at it, is there anything you would have done differently to potentially have stayed in that environment for longer? Um, I'm not too sure. Um, it's, that's a real hard one. That's a good question, but yeah. it's a real hard one because it's like, do I change personality-wise myself and to fit their mould? Yeah. Or do I keep true to myself and maybe not fit their mould and go into a different direction, but just still enjoy my rugby and still play, and maybe not play the test, which I didn't, obviously. So I think I don't regret anything that I did or did not do. Like, I trained hard. I um, showed up. I tried to play as hard as I could when I got my chances. Um, I never, yeah, never badmouthed anyone or dropped lip at training if I was on the bags for nine weeks straight, which I was during the um, rugby championship, I still always do it with a smile and always be there. And and mm. it's just because I love a team environment. Like I don't play rugby just to get paid. It's because you've got 30, 40 other guys that are good people and you get to hang out with those people as long as you're not on the piss all the time trying to fight each other. So it's... Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's a good question, but I don't think. Yeah, I would, I would have yeah. done anything different. No. What was the feedback they gave you? Did they give you much feedback when they didn't select you? Um, it's quite an interesting one. So I'm not too sure if it was the senior players or something that they didn't like about me, but um, I got feedback saying um, that they didn't think I took either game day or training seriously enough. So that meaning like if it's game day, they they didn't like me smiling or, or like having a joke around or or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's just me. I've always been like that. Like if, especially under pressure, I, I like to smile. Like I've never been one to on a rugby field to get into to really a fight. I'll usually just laugh or just like like I smile at somebody. Oh, that's how I deal with pressure. Like I don't. I don't get angry and, and have to act like I'm um, like focus, focus. I can switch it on and off. Well, I've been lucky to be able to do that, but um, I got that feedback from them, which was quite quite odd for me, mm. um, because at the start of when I first got picked, they're like, "We want you to be who you are." Like that's what I got told. Yeah. So I was being me and then I got told that they want me to be different and then it really sunk in when we went to um, like like that obviously talked to Brownie or um, uh, Jamie Joe and said told them that that he needs to calm down because they said Brownie for the first time ever he, he didn't mind me having a laugh and a joke and like he knew that I could switch it on and off in a game and training and he actually had a go at me and hit me up in, in the airport at the start of the preseason in 2017. And I was like, hey, where's this coming from? Like, left field. And then I later found out that it has obviously come from the selectors. Yeah. So it's, it is what it That's is. It's crazy. Man. I think Lima sums it up pretty well when he messaged me saying that um, before the 2015 final, when he was trying to be serious. Um, you let out a massive fart just just to ease the tension. That pretty much sums up your personality. <laughs> yeah, like I was I was nervous as I was so nervous to run out by myself. Um, and then we're in the huddle. So I've, I've run out by myself. We're in the huddle just before the game starts, and I absolutely rip one like bad and I just start laughing and I'm like boys we're gonna have to move we're gonna have to move and I think they're just like everything just everyone just went like calm calm down like it's just like one of those little icebreakers like if you're going and someone tells a joke and it just takes takes everything away like it's we're playing rugby who cares like just give it a shot give it a roll um yeah that was it was one of the funniest moments Looking back at that day was me going out there and I've nearly shit my pants pretty much running out onto the field <laughs> at, half, at, at the halfway line in a huddle just before the final, the biggest game of my career. But you definitely didn't feel comfortable enough to rip one out um, in the All Blacks. <laughs> no, I did. That's probably why they didn't, I didn't get picked again. <laughs> <laughs> So is that what inspired your move to um, the Black Rams in Japan? Um, yes, yeah. Like I'd always been interested in playing in, in Japan. Like I'd always been um, 
pretty interested in, in going to a uh, different culture mm. quite close to New Zealand, one flight and stuff like that. So, um, and I was eligible to do that because I played over, I think it was 80 games for um, Super Rugby Caps. You could go in between. So I, I did that for one year and then yeah. I got my 100th game and I decided, look, I've, I've given what I can give for Super Rugby. It's time to to go and, and give it do something different. Um, and then it turned out that it was coronavirus and everything just got turned up upside down. Um, I played maybe four games in two years. And yeah, it was just a, it was just a, it was, my family couldn't come to Japan. Oh, and then, yeah, it was, it was just a time where rugby wise wasn't going well. Family-wise, it was we were distant and, and long-term, like like trying to be a parent from from Japan when your kids are in Christchurch. Yeah, it's, yeah. it was it was pretty hard. That's tough, eh? My daughter got born. I went, to, I saw her get born. I was there for a week, and then I was gone. I think for ten months or something like that. And then I came back, and she was nearly walking. So, yeah, it was. Madness. Madness, yeah. And and is that why you moved to Barretts in the yeah. end, so that you could all be as a family, even if you were overseas? Yeah, like financially speaking, it's probably not the the smartest financial move. Like uh, Japan's great money, and you get a good get in Japan, you get paid really well, and that, that's awesome. But that just wasn't for me. That, that wasn't something that I yeah. really... I'd rather be with my family getting paid a lot less and getting paid heaps and um, be without them. So we decided as a family yeah. to, to all go try and make this experience like um, pay off and, and and see what happens from there. But yeah, exactly. It was just, it was, that's exactly why we came to Brits or um, to France, to Europe. And so what, what's the plans going forward? You've got another year in Brits and then mm. just going to see what happens. Mate, wouldn't have a clue. I wouldn't have a clue what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to try and learn some French. I'm trying to I'm trying to learn a little bit more French. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just coming back, trying to get back in from my injury. I just um, got a blooming hematoma. Have you ever had a real bad hematoma before? I feel like I got one most weeks. They are <laughs> shocking. My skinny little chicken legs used to just cop them. Mate, I've I had one and. I shit you not, they got 250 mils of dead blood out of that leg. I couldn't walk for, wow. for four weeks without a crutch. Like I was, and I'm slowly getting back. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, and then never ever broken a finger. And then I come here and look at this finger, the first week of, of France. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Can't even wave at anyone. Hey, guys, hey, um, dislocate my thumb. Do that. I'm just like, what's happening? <laughs> but yeah. It's, now, is the body in the whole scheme of things? Um, well, yeah. Some days I feel great. Some days I feel yeah like I'm 27. How I act, I act like a 22 year old. But um, my body at the moment, well, when I had COVID and the injury, I felt 45, 50. So, um, but no, when I'm playing and, and training, like it's, it's good. Like 
I'd play for free. It's just the training that that I get paid for. It's it's literally yeah. It's like if I didn't have to train, man, I'd I'd be so happy. But it's yeah, it's the um yeah. I'd play I'd play for free definitely. Do you think you'll keep playing for as long as you can? I don't think so. I'm not too sure. Um, well, I'm I'm a big believer in um calling time when when I want to call time. Like I don't want to get to the stage where I'm not getting picked or get to the stage where I can't can't play because I'm so sore or because my body just won't let me. I'd rather get to the stage where I'm still playing good rugby, but I choose to walk or I choose to go or I yeah. choose to do something different. Whereas it's because I feel like then that's on my terms and I've, I've done my bit. When it comes down to it, it's a small part of your life really hopefully we we live till we're 80 and i've played rugby for what 14 years or 13 years professionally mm. so it's it's a little miniature little part and is it really going to matter if you played three more years in in france or in japan and and when you're i don't think so so yeah i'd, I'd like to like i if i'm playing good rugby still i'll, I'll keep playing rugby but if i feel like i'm either body-wise, mental-wise, or, or anything like that, not into it, or don't love the game anymore, then definitely I'll pull plug. Because, yeah, that's always... Well, I like it. Yeah, I'm, I, like, I, I don't think you can go out and play rugby at a 50% mindset or a 50% body. You, you know, like, yes, you can with your body. You can stretch yeah. yourself up and stuff, but mentally, if you don't love the game still, so you don't want to get up and train and... and get up and smash people there's no point of being out there you might as well just um do something different try <laughs> try and do something different <laughs> what 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 i'm not Mate, too sure what? but we'll, we'll try and do something different <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you got any idea on what you'll do next i'm hoping that a uh, lotto comes in good like um I'm not, lo- lo- lottery <laughs> Big fan, big fan of lottery. Um, nah, I'm not too sure. Like, I've, I've got a couple of options. Um, I've got a couple of investments and stuff. I've, I've, I've been called um, very thrifty in my time. With um, back in the day, I used to save a lot, and I've managed to be able to put it into a bit of um, property and 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 make some not too bad financial decisions with other parts of my money and so now it's just to uh, the goal is to retire well no 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 don't be silly it's to have a job that i enjoy but like you don't have to worry about paying the the big mortgage you know like like the pressure of the mortgage like that that's taken care of or yeah it's more just you 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 get to do something even if it's not well a well-paid job but you enjoy it, I'd rather do that than try and financially just keep getting ahead, ahead, ahead. I'd rather just, yeah, yeah. enjoy what I do and um, see what happens from there, to be fair. 100%, mate. You're right yeah, mate. on. You're, you're killing life. Love it. Anyway, we've got about a 1,000 questions that came okay. in for the great Elliot Dixon, so we will okay. crack on. Most yeah. of them are about the try, so we've we've, we've covered that. Clear mm-hmm. knock on. Thanks for answering that yeah. one. Yeah, knock that on. Um, I mean, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> First question from your great mate, 
Aaron Smith. Ask him about the Bronco and the Mizuno boots. Ooh, <laughs> yes. This was my last year with the Highlanders. Ran my fastest ever Bronco and Mizuno boots because I was always Adidas, like I'd always been Adidas. And then I was like, nah, I'm, mm. I'm not getting anything out of Adidas. I've got Aaron Smith. They've probably given him 150 grand, you know. I'm giving him drinks, drips and drabs, you know. So I hit up Mizuno. I get these flash-looking things. And I do my Bronco fastest ever time, my fastest ever Bronco time, 444 which at 110 kgs oh. I was pretty happy with. And that was in 2019. That was my last year with the Landers. So thanks, Ezra, for bringing that up. That was literally, yeah, it was one of my best <laughs> times. And I, I kept on going up to people. I was like, what time did you do? What time did you do? <laughs> it was the boots. It was the boots. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Um, next question. Are the Stags the greatest team ever? Lots of questions about Ooh. the stags. Yeah. Well, for me, personally, in that era, yes. In 2009 to 2013, it was the greatest team to be part of, yeah. More so than being part of the Highlanders from 2010 to 2013. Like, I'd rather... Like, I I trained during the Highlander season to get ready for stag season, you know, like it was... <laughs> and I've always been um, wanting to get back. I was about to go back to the stags. Um, but this this opportunity popped up in Britain. So, yeah, the Stags, definitely hard. There's another question that came in a lot. Would he come back to the Stags and play? How much? What's uh, max, 55? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I would. If um, if I could come back and play and, and, and still play good rugby, then, yeah, I definitely would. I was about to do it. Like, uh, as I said, I was, I was about to come back and sign for not much money. It was just more just to to get back to the union that gave me a start. Oh, you're a lad. Love that. Okay, next one. Do you play the ball out of a bunker? Oh, just golfing? No, I never do. Yeah. I never do. <laughs> I either foot wedge it or do the old um, swing, throw it up with the, with the sand in the air. No, okay. This What actually happened was I ripped my pet during the year in Japan and all we were been doing was playing golf because it was the COVID and the only thing we could do was play golf. So I ripped my pet a little bit, the same one as back in the day. So I actually could physically couldn't hit the ball out of a bunker for a long time and then I played on that for six months after it healed. So <laughs> <laughs> So no, I don't I don't hit out of bunker oh, still to this day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> okay. Next one. What is your favourite haircut you've had and why? And you've had you had some great haircuts. Well, I've, actually, look at this, mate. I've bought them back for you. I bought them back. I've got the doozies of the dreads back from the dead. Wow, I like it. Yeah, so I had those back. Um, That's good. Eh? Back in 2017, I think it was. No, I've had some absolutely terrible lids. I think if you go to my first 2011 Highlanders photo, I've got like this little, you remember those little braids that you used to have at the back of your hair? And it's oh, just, yeah. oh, one of those. Yeah. And I look like an absolute clown. And <laughs> and I think I've just been trying to top that ever since. 
just trying to get worse and worse. You've had some nice cornrows. Yeah. Remember the cornrows? Yeah. yeah. Cornrows. Um, the, the pink hair in Japan. Yes, pink hair in Japan. I just got really bored and um, isolated from, without family, so I, uh, th- that's why I blame my mental breakdown on that. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's more just because I love giving my brother shit because he's losing his hair, and I just love doing random stuff with my hair because I know that one day I'm going to probably lose it. And I give people so much shit about losing hair that like, I'd rather have heaps of different random as um, stuff going on that I can look back and be like, at least I tried it. At least I gave it a go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that theory. Okay, next one. What was your Uber Eats bill a week while living in Japan? Who's that from? Is that from Berkey, Keegan Ferry? Okay. Um, yes, I did. I can count on one hand the amount of times I cooked in 12 months in Japan. One hand. Yeah, I think I spent... I would usually eat McDonald's at least five times a week. What? Yeah, like I'm, I'm blessed with a great m- metabolism. Like I, I, I'm very lucky, but it's slowing down. It is slowing down, but I've been blessed. But um, yeah, it was. It would have been in the hundreds of dollars per week, easy in Japan. And is that breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You're um, you're only eating five yeah. times in twelve. Yeah, like I, I didn't go to groceries. I didn't do grocery shopping. <laughs> That's living. It is, isn't it? What's the point? Like uh, how it's depressing cooking for one. And it ends up being about the same price, especially over there, eh? Yeah, like uh, you go for a ramen over there. And you mm. pay like eight bucks New Zealand, whereas you try and make a ramen at home, you have to buy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to buy like fifty five kgs of noodles to get your money back after it. You know, it's not it's not going to work. <laughs> smart, very smart. Okay, yeah, smart man, smart. Um, oh. Is it true you faked a dead leg just so you could get a puff of the green morphine whistle? <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. No, that's actually, I actually did have a dead leg, and that's the one that I was talking about recently. So, no, and I know exactly who that will be. No one gives them any credit, eh? Nah. Like, I can can handle pain pretty well. Like, cellulitis and stuff. Like, I'm not, yeah, nah, I didn't. Promise. Okay, next one. Ask him about his drop goal attempt at the New Zealand Twenties. Yes, I don't. Know, I can't remember who we versed, but I did do it. We had a penalty advantage, and I kicked it just to hopefully get the penalty. And it, I think it rolled along the ground. I think it went backwards. I think I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you haven't done another one since no. then. No, I did not. Although I am a hundred percent in Super Rugby for kicking. At yeah. goal, was this yeah. on your? I'm a hundred. My hunt. Or last n- game? No, not not versus the Hawaii's. Uh, the game before, after that versus the Chiefs. I think I got a uh, Waratahs. I got a um, kick at goal. Where was that from? It was about fifty out <laughs> from the sideline. <laughs> With the wind against me. No, it was it was oh. no, it was pretty much in front. 
like if I missed it, or it would have right. been pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Is it true you are so humble that you changed your cod name to Moldy WC after winning twenties? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I did. That's how humble I am. No, there, there is a reason as well because the other one that I usually have, Moldy GC, was taken. So I had to go something else. So I went Dub C, world champion, might as well. It's the only one I've won. (laughs) (laughs) Who keeps pulling these out? Holy heck. Mate, Ah. you've got some friends who follow Waterland, that's for sure. Okay, ask him how he met his wife, Paige. Oh, this is a good one. Um, So I was just back from under 20s and was drinking a lot. And if you know Christchurch, there's a place called Bush Inn, which is right by the uni. And there's Bush Inn Super Liquor. And so we used to go there because um, I lived at this place in Roundtree Street where my brother stayed and he studied. I didn't study, but I stayed in a uni flat <laughs> just just <'cause, laughs> because it's by the uni parties. Um, and me and my mate Tahi and a couple of other boys and would go to the super liquor down the road. So one night I went down to the super liquor and there was this lovely looking lady that was, um, you know, those drink stools that they get you to taste test sometimes. And she yeah. was selling this drink called Envy. It was in this green can. Can you remember that? It was this green, yucky, disgusting mm-hmm. drink. I bought two cases of it in, in the end just because of just trying to, <laughs> just trying to flirt and um, ended up, her chasing me on Facebook, and that's how it started. Yeah. Wow! It was, yeah, it was just a random, yeah, random, random, random thing. It was quite funny. You must have flirted well at the. No, no I, was, I was day table. three, I think, and I looked probably horrible. I'm not too sure what happened there. <laughs> she must have had very low standards at that time. <laughs> or her, or her test is, her eyesight has never been tested. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, last question. Okay. Elliot Dixon's best advice. Best advice? Yeah. So who to, though? That's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. The average Waterlad listener. Okay. Best advice. That's quite a hard question, bro. Um, my best advice is probably mentally take care of yourself and enjoy what you're doing, even if it's like 20 minutes a day to just take Take time to take care of yourself. Like that's going for a walk, that's going to the beach, that's talking with your loved ones, that's being with your kids, that's playing PlayStation, playing Xbox, getting out in the open air. Like mentally take care of yourself and and enjoy being, just being present. And um, if you can do that and have some people around you that are good friends and spend time with them and hopefully have a partner or, or someone that you can be with and have kids and something like that, and then enjoy all that because it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing part of life and, and you've got to soak up because it goes pretty quick. It goes bloody quick. I remember when I was 21 playing for the Stags and now I'm 30, whatever, playing for birth. <laughs> Mate. That was powerful, Cheers, really powerful stuff. I feel like I didn't go deep enough with you through this podcast because, geez, when we got there, 
You brought out some absolute <laughs> gems there, love that. Yeah, I'm like an onion, bro. You just scratch away those surfaces and you'll start crying too. <laughs> <laughs> mate, obviously, mate, this has been one of the best podcasts yet. This was some yarn, some of the best yarns we've had so far. And like we just talked about, so many layers, like you've got all these different sides to it. Um, Really enjoyed that yarn and really appreciate you um, coming on the podcast. Oh, good, brother, man. Thanks very much for the invite. Um, awesome. It was just good to talk to you. Obviously, it's pretty hard to, to top this one, so you're going to have to go big or go home. So um, look forward to listening to it. <laughs> yeah, mate, I feel for whoever's next after <laughs> this one because this oh, one of the greats. Cheers, brother. Appreciate it, though, mate. Cheers, man. All good, bro. Keep safe.